So hi everyone, today I'm here with Claire Humphreys, who is the Global Chief Marketing Officer at Iris Worldwide. So just to get our listeners up to speed, Iris was set up in 1999 with the aim of becoming a real alternative to the large advertising global agencies and 14 years later on it's built the reputation as a leading independent agency with offices in Amsterdam, London, Singapore, Sydney and New York and many more and they predominantly work with global clients including Adidas, Starbucks, um, Samsung and Heineken and um, each year they've really continued to grow from a commercial and creative perspective of which Claire has had a, has had a huge role to play in um, and if you listen to our interview with Ian Milner, who is the global CEO, you'll hear his story on how Iris started. But um, Claire being one of the six founding partners of Iris, um, today we're going to hear her side of the story and um, hopefully focus more on new biz and marketing. So, how are you today, Claire? I'm good, thank you. Good. I, hope, I hope that Ian and I's stories match up. Very interesting. <laughs> So yeah, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your role at Iris? Yep, so um, I've obviously, obviously been at Iris since day one and had uh, various roles over the years which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into talking to uh, during the interview. Um, but my role to today is as CMO, I'm in charge of the agency brand, uh, the agency marketing, um, which in this context is uh, business to business marketing because I'm trying to uh, attract uh, prospective clients um, to, to Iris and then I'm also the lead for all of our new business activities as well which means um, managing the new business pipeline from the very initial um, content that we put out in the market that would uh, make sure that we're on the radar of a prospective client right through to if that client contacts the agency and then has a speculative brief that they want to look at us to look at I, w I will manage the pitch process to ensure that we optimize our conversion rate mm. so you've been at iris for 19 years 19 now, years yeah so what was your first role when you joined the company so um <laughs> I mean, I did. I was employee number one, and at one point there was just me. So <laughs> uh, I did everything and anything um, to to yeah, go. That's the to, role to of any startup, isn't it? Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. So there were six of us uh, who uh, wanted to start our own agency, and then um, the moment the client said yes, this thing's a goer. One of us needed to volunteer mm. to be the person who would. Um, turn the sort of dream into a reality. So I, I put my hand up. Um, I, I really wanted to leave where we currently were all working. And I just thought that it was just the, the most exciting uh, opportunity that mm. anyone could be offered. So uh, I handed my notice in first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> where we were and, uh, We were all at an agency called IMP, which doesn't exist uh, okay. anymore. Um, it was part of the DMB, B&B group. Yeah. Um, so it, it got bought several times after we left. So IMP, the brand, I think it's uh, Leo Burnett now. Oh, I see. Um, Publicist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my first uh, role uh, was to find us office space, was to persuade 
uh, friends and family to underwrite uh, underwrite our equipment lease yeah. for printers, for computers, for you name it. Um, and then when the client uh, wanted to start briefing us, I had to be I had to be the, the face of Iris, mm -hmm. take the brief, and then f work with the one designer and creative that we had at the time wow, to uh, start c creating marketing campaigns. So it was a bit of everything. Yeah, so you were the first one but to hand in your notice then. I was the first one Ian. to hand in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so there, Ian was actually one of the last ones to, to, to join. Right. So even though he was there behind the scenes, um, you can only afford uh, to, to, to pay the employees if you've got the income coming mm. in. So it was a case of um, carefully balancing um, workload coming in from the client and mm. people who are on the payroll. Yeah. Um, all of us needed to, because we're all so young and we all had rent to pay, we all needed to earn a, earn a salary. Mm. Um, and then, but we couldn't support all six of us from the word go. So it was, I'd like to say it was a carefully orchestrated plan that all that that, that, that yeah. rolled out exactly as we planned it. The reality was that I said I was going first the brief started rolling in from the client and then at times it was a bit of a scramble to then get enough staff yeah. to generate the work for the client. Yeah. Um, and I, but I think after about a year and a half, uh, the six of us were all in place. Mm. We were also, it was also a covert operation, so we were trying to do it without the current, the, the agency we were currently at finding out. Right, I And see. so we couldn't all leave at once because they yeah. would smell a rat. So each of us left one <laughs> after the other, all giving a different <laughs> excuse as to why we left. <laughs> what kind of excuses well, did you I mean, I, I just said I was going because I, I didn't like it. Yeah. And because I was first, there was no suspicion whatsoever about yeah. me going. Um, Steve uh, went off to get married, and so he said he was going <laughs> well, travelling. Can't remember what sound. I can't. I, 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 and were to this you day, all working in the same department. We were all in the oh. same team. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, apart from Ian, Ian was new business director. Yeah. So it was actually advantageous for Ian to stay in place for a while, mm. uh, because anything that the that his agency was turning down, because they were just simply too big to mm. take on those new business opportunities. Um, he he you would, guys would he take, would let, would he let us know about it, <laughs> yeah. and we would speculatively approach that brand and say, "Oh yeah, what a, what yeah, you you have a brief. What a lucky coincidence!" Um, <laughs> so it, he was actually more helpful staying yeah. in place where he was. He had it. those kind of yeah. inside connections yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, <laughs> but like with any business, it's like you mm. cannot you cannot take people onto the payroll until you've got the income coming in. Yeah, the stable. Um, and it was probably harder for some of the other guys to stay in place mm. at the other other agency. Yeah. Yet all the time they, they could see some exciting things going on and wanted to join, yeah. but they had to sit and wait until we could have we could afford them. Could afford them. Mm. And were they kind of working on on it in the weekends and in the evenings? Yeah, we, we it, all was yeah, it like we a all slow were. transition. Yeah, um, I mean we didn't. There wasn't. They, they were involved in terms of helping us make decisions as a team about what we wanted to yeah. invest in, where we wanted to be, yeah. how to, you know, issues that cropped up with the client, but they, they couldn't actually physically do anything to help service the client. Mm. So I, I can remember phoning uh, both Stuart and Ian and they'd be at their 
other jobs <laughs> and I would say I know you can't uh, talk you just have to say yes or no to the questions I'm going to ask you <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah it, it was it was really exciting I mean very stressful at times mm. And uh, I definitely felt out of my depth at times. Yeah. And it was frustrating that I often couldn't get the support that I needed until the evenings or the weekends, mm. and by which time it was often too late. But, yeah, I've forgotten about that bit now. It's a bit yeah. like childbirth. You forget about the bad bits. <laughs> you just remember how great and exciting yeah, exactly. wow, this advancement was. And was Irish your first job coming out of university? No, no. So, um... I, uh, I, my first job was actually, I went back home to Portsmouth and oh, paid off my debt. Yeah, paid oh. off my debts. Um, I didn't actually move that far when I went to university. Yeah, because I went to Southampton University Did as you? well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I studied marketing. Marketing, yeah. So I always wanted to be in marketing. Right. And I pretty much knew I wanted to work in an agency. Yeah. And I, uh, while I was at university, I got some of the uh, graduate um, applications mm. and looked at some of this looked at some of the processes for like to such and such and just yeah. thought I, it's I just so don't, long isn't it's it? so long and actually I just don't think I'm going to be able to stand out within that mm. process um, I, I came out of university with two too because I mucked around quite a lot um, they they want the cream of the crop in terms of graduates right, and results so I realized I would have to take a different route in which was I'm probably gonna to have to work my way into the industry so I took a job at a, it's like a telemarketing um, fulfillment house mm. that was that was he helping agencies like ours when we were running big promotions. Yeah. So they would yeah. they would they would handle all the competition entries. They would send the stuff back out. Yeah. So you just I just started to learn a, a bit about how the below the line industry functioned. Um, and, a, and, a, mm. and a bit about what agencies expected from su from suppliers, and therefore what might be required of you as an employee. Mm. Um, and that was really helpful. So I worked there for about a year and a half, um, and then uh, I I started applying. I built up a file of all of the agencies that I wanted to work at, and IMP was one of them. And then I just started writing speculative letters and I made an advert of myself. <laughs> when you say advert do you mean like a I'm, personal statement? Uh, like a, I mean this is in the days before the internet and creating right. your own brand and having a profile so I literally created a poster with a cut, cut off return slip at the bottom oh. with a prepaid envelope That's great. Yeah, in here. So it said loads, there's a picture of me in the middle that said loads of stuff about who I was and what yeah. I wanted and then it was like if you want to find out more Fill in, the to <laughs> Fill in the details. Fill in the details. Those surveys you see yeah. in like universities yeah. where it's like answer exactly. those questions yeah. and you know hand it. exactly like that, <laughs> and uh, and it worked. So so you were sending that round yeah. round to agencies. Yeah, and IMP replied and said, "Come in for an interview." I went yeah. in for an interview, and there wasn't a job, uh, but he was just quite keen to meet me. Yeah. and uh, and then said, well, "Like stay in touch." So I went through this torturous six months of wow. sending him birthday cards and Christmas cards and. <laughs> <laughs> working out how on earth. How old were you at the time? Twenty two. Yeah, that's but it's good. It's good life skills and yeah, it's definitely. good new business skills actually. Mm. So be proactive. It's funny because I, in a previous interview with Three Co, so they're like a plant augmented reality company. They were talking about the best jobs aren't you know applied to, they're created. Mm. So 
I've mentioned this before, but I had a friend who actually like wrote to the found well wrote to Charlotte Tilbury asking for a job. Yeah. And she ended up getting a job in the her mar- marketing department. And okay. back then it was a bit of a start as a startup, you yeah. know, the makeup brand. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, she ended up like you know getting employed. Well, I'm them, a firm so, believer yeah. in creating your own luck. I really mm. do, and uh, I think if you've got the guts to ask mm. and uh, the tenacity to keep asking and stick with it, yeah. and I think that's probably what the, what the client services director at IMP that's what he saw, saw in you. He was like, yeah. Christ, she's not going away. <laughs> but fair play, yeah. you know, if she can be this tenacious around getting a job. Then mm. what could she do if we put her on, exactly. on a client piece of business? Yeah. Um, and and so eventually a, a job came up and Steve and Ian interviewed me. Oh, really? uh, yeah, they were they were real bastards. They were asked me. They made me <laughs> At feel the same so. Time, yeah, were they just, yeah. I can so imagine two, them being... two lads in an interview room. I was twenty two. Yeah. They were twenty five, and they were sort of like, if you were a car, what type of car would you be? <laughs> just stu- stupid questions. Yeah. And then yeah, it. and then there was an actual job coming up, so I had to go through a test where. They, all the candidates came into the agency, you were given a brief, you were shut in a room for an hour, and then you had to present back to them after an hour, oh, wow. which was quite, quite high pressure. Yeah. And uh, so I came up with some ideas, came up with a campaign, and they still take the mickey out of me today <laughs> for my, uh, my campaign headline. And my, what was your campaign headline? Oh, it's, they made up a gin brand called Fitzroy's Lemon Gin. Right. And I think I came up with a headline for a load of events, which was like putting on the Ritz with Fitz. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not a copywriter. I'm a salesperson. Remember that. <laughs> yeah, life gives you lemons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, as the um, as the global CMO, what what which new business pitch processes do you think you've learned from the most over your experience? I think you learn from uh, the ones that don't go well. So, I think. As in life, you will you'll learn the most from the cock-ups that you make and the mistakes that, that happen. Um, as long as you're humble enough to accept that you need to learn from it. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the difficult thing about pitching is that each pitch is different, each brief is different, each client's different. And there'll also be a, a, a load of factors at play that don't don't reveal themselves mm. throughout the pitch process as well. Um, but you can only you can only you can only orchestrate uh, your own performance and the team's performance and deal with the facts of what you do know. And you have to make sure that the team um, is operating in a way that would deliver a good performance. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah. and in that respect, it's probably a. a you know, quite akin to uh, like a football coach or you know a, a sports coach try, yeah. just trying to get the best performance out of people within the limited period of time that you've got um, which is not always easy when uh, pitches are done outside of the day job mm. so you've also yeah. got, got, got people who you're asking for a lot of personal sacrifice in, in terms of time um, spent away from family and friends in order to, mm. to do the pitch so um, I just think you, uh, my, the thing I can do above everything else is be very, very clear with people what the brief is and what is required of them mm. and what their roles are. Remove any of the barriers that crop up along the way mm. um, that would get in the way of the team performing. 
and then just support and encourage them, keep them going through the long hours in, yeah. in order to get the output and the result that we want. So, as you just mentioned, a lot of time and effort and maybe time away from family and friends is um, required to kind of invest in these pitches. So, in the unfortunate cases of pitch losses, what do you tell your team and how do you make sure that they're learning as much as possible from, the, from these processes? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think it's quite important to try and do a wash-up with the team before you know the result. Mm. Because people will have a gut feel around what felt good, what didn't feel good, and um, they'll change that opinion once they know the result. Mm. So I think it's quite, it's quite helpful to, and the way I like to do it is to get everybody to jot down and send it just to me, mm. warts and all, what they thought of the pitch process in terms of things that went well and things that didn't mm. go so well. Yeah. Um, and then usually when you aggregate those, you start to see some common themes coming through, but also as the more independent person, independent often observing person in the pitch process, I can work out what's just sort of personality driven and mm. actually w what were the things that actually could have been better. Yeah. And, and I think it's helpful if you can get the team together to talk about it. And if everyone's honest with themselves, then they'll, usually that going through that quite cathartic process will help them bond again and be quite a strong unit at the end of it as long as they're all quite honest with each other mm -hmm. yeah and um, learning from yeah not, i wouldn't say mistakes but in some cases yeah. how can we improve yeah and often when you're really in the thick of it you don't you can't really see what's going on yeah, you don't really know so what's true. you're just you're just trying to you cope yeah, you're with blinded, it yeah. you're completely blinded and it's often once you've given people a chance to step back and what you're encouraging them to do is analy analyze their their own performance, mm. really, and, and reflect up, on yeah, yeah reflect on it and come up with the answers. Because mm. if you can if you can do that in work, you can then also do that outside of work. And I yeah. think it's something that most people should be taking the time to stop and do it anyway, yeah, regardless I agree. of where they are. So just on the topic of networking. So Steve always says, like in meetings, new biz is everyone's business and it's not just up to the board directors to go out with new biz mm -hmm. or just the new biz team. Um, so what kind of tips would you give uh, for mastering the art of networking, mm -hmm. I guess? And uh, I probably would say that it comes, f I think what, rather than mastering networking, I think what people need to do is uh, stay, cur stay curious and realise that they need to expose themselves mm. to other stimulus outside of the company that they work for um, on an ongoing basis. It, you, it's not just enough these days, I don't think, to ha have a job and perform, re perform really well at it, do your job and then go home and then go home. Yeah, because you're, closing, you're actually closing yourself off to mm. a load of things that could lead to your next job, that, yeah. could, that, could, that could spark an interest, that could create an idea for a client. So a lot of things that will make you better at what you currently do. To inspire do. you, I guess, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And, I think, and I think it is down to, we've got the opportunity through either technology or just the sheer amount of events that go on in London. Mm. Only if you, even if you only went once a month and did something new once a month, You'd, you'd, you'd learn a lot. And then when people are there, I, th I think you're better off going by yourself. If you go with a friend, That's so you'll just stand there and talk to your friend. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because it feels really uncomfortable to be in a room where you don't know anybody 
but if you do go by yourself, uh, it's uncomfortable, but you, you will be forced to even just chat to someone while yeah. you're at the bar or in the toilets or putting your coat in. That was well. how I felt when I went travelling to South America for mm. three months, I went on my own and I'd, I'd never travelled alone before and you know I met so many people and I didn't I don't regret it all but looking back and I think if I had gone with a friend I definitely like I saw people girls together who would just you could tell they didn't really want to make effort because they had yeah. their friend and yeah. I, I guess I totally would have been the same but yeah, yeah you would have had a very different experience yeah. and it probably would have been quite intense on that friendship because you would have been involved in negotiations every day about what you yeah, do exactly. at least you could please yourself and, and make your own decisions yeah yeah but also same for me when I went travelling I did loads of stuff that I never would have even dreamed of if I and I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been by myself did you, you went on your own where did you go uh, around Southeast Asia in one trip that was a couple of months and then round uh, New Zealand on another trip oh, wow. and New Fiji, oh, Fiji yeah. is in fact <laughs> uh, New Zealand was harder to travel in on your own than Southeast Asia I found because uh, it was more more closed and more, almost more British as a culture yeah. and it was more based on going to a pub and out to restaurants it was less about life on the street and backpacking, backpacking and, kind of, yeah. and, and also there were in New Zealand there were there were a load of sort of trails that I wanted to do but I didn't feel brave enough to do them by myself because yeah. they were yeah, just felt less about it. Yeah, yeah, time, yeah, yeah. And so, I felt New Zealand wasn't actually quite so easy as Southeast mm. Asia. A lot of people say that about South America, as in, it's a lot harder to travel around. Yeah, obviously because like everyone's speaks Spanish dangerous. as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> Don't really know how. <laughs> Felt sorry for my mum. She cried when I told her. <laughs> <I was leaving. laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, that's great. So just moving on to the kind of like more key business functions of um, the company. So Iris has shown like a year-on-year -year growth commercially mm. and creatively. So as the business has grown, how easy or difficult has it been to kind of keep in keep it operating in line with the initial vision that you had from day yeah. one? I, th uh, I think it's actually very difficult, um, and and I think your own vision for it changes over time as well. So. Um, I think when we first started Iris, we wanted it to be, uh, we were very focused on the culture of the company, we wanted it to be this sort of utopia, if you like, of yeah. where you know, everyone wants to work, no one wants to leave, and you, you're, you're happy and your work's fun all the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and actually we did feel, feel like that, even though we were working incredibly hard and really long hours. But that's easy when everyone is of the same age and really similar in their in their mindset. Mm. I think as the company has grown and we've uh, become very diverse in terms of the the skill sets that we've acquired through both acquisition and organically, mm -hmm. integrating all those different points of view and skill sets and personality types is quite, quite is difficult. Quite, is yeah. quite difficult. Um, and it, there's a lot of there's a lot of friction created and a lot of tension and a lot of that can be healthy and results in better work, mm. um, but it definitely isn't At the, the sacrifice of culture. Mm, yeah, isn't the sort of tight knit friends we're all in it together place that it mm. felt when we first started. But that that was probably quite naive and unrealistic mm. uh, and not in line with our commercial objectives. So, yeah, yeah, I think. I think um, I think acquisitions in particular are 
uh, can have a massive impact on culture. Yeah, Ian said that as well. I think. Yeah. yeah, they're not as easy as I think we first thought they would be. Mm, you're almost bringing in other cultures. You are and trying to adopt those and fit it within. Yeah, and then getting the everybody, everyone, yeah. everyone uh, agreed as to yeah behaviours and just modes of operating and what's acceptable and what's not. Even on a really simple functional level, is mm. very difficult. Let alone how people f- emotionally feel about yeah. it. So just on the topic of people, um, uh, like I know you mentioned earlier on how you were kind of, you obviously seemed very keen and, you know, knocking on the door and constantly just being proactive, I guess. So from an employee perspective, what key characteristics do you look for um, in an individual or potential hire and what do you think would make them a good return on investment? Um... I think that uh, sort of person, personal attributes and personality traits are the most important thing because um, what we do isn't rocket science. You, you, can, you know that you can teach. If someone is intelligent and willing to learn and very enthusiastic, you, you can teach them all they need to know on the job. Um, what you can't instil into people is a passion for something mm. or an enthusiasm or even a work ethic to be honest um, and, I, and I and I really think people's willingness to work hard uh, in order to get a result is, is a really important uh, trait because I, I'm one of those people that believes that you, you're not just lumped with what you're born with if you really want to, if you really want something in life, if you work hard enough, you'll get it. Yeah. And so I think uh, you can recruit people into your team who can be amazing one day and can deliver great things for the business. Um, but then having the right uh, approach to life and also the right worth, work ethic are mm. the two sort of building blocks I think you need. Um, the rest is pretty easy to pick up. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it's kind of culture and you know, yeah. like personal traits. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. You need people with open yeah. minds, but also people who are willing to le- to learn. People who don't think that they know it all. Mm. Um, and I think particularly if it's your business and you're you feel quite emotional about letting people into it. Yeah, I mean, course. not so much nowadays, but. I when you first start the first couple of well. hires, yeah, exactly. you, you, you're gonna you'll feel like it's your precious yeah. thing that you're letting someone else share. Yeah, <laughs> and so <laughs> you want to know that they're not gonna abuse it. So, yeah. what would you? What would the one piece of advice you would give to startups wanting to make like their first hire? I guess because um, there's a lot more at stake. <laughs> yeah, I. Th- yeah, I don't. I think probably trying to find out as much as you can about a person outside of work. Um, so you've got an indication of just about a, a very holistic sense of who they are. Yeah. You can't, I can't, I just don't think looking at CV and then even an interview performance is really indicative. No, so I don't think it is. Like I take time. Facebook, LinkedIn, social yeah, media. Yeah, go out for a drink with them. Yeah, you know, to meet, meet them <laughs> under sort of, uh, sort of maybe a normal circumstance or a slightly stressful circumstance yeah. where they're, maybe their interpersonal skills have to come into play. Mm. Um, and one thing that we're not very good at, which we should be doing, is we should be getting references for everybody as well. Mm. And we, we don't. We don't. Yeah. And we've uh, had made so many mistakes in the past, and then you found out something about that person that if you dug around deep enough, you, you would have found out about yeah. that before they, you offered them the job. 
do your homework. Yeah, do your homework. <laughs> That's the key advice. So true. So in terms of building a team, what do you think it takes to be a good leader? Mm, I think you need to lead from the front. I think you need to... I think you need to... You can't just tell people to be something. Um, you have to um, You have to show them. Mm. Um, you have to show them what good looks like. You have to show them what sort of standard you want them to, to reach. I think you also have to uh, be that person you want them to be because you uh, need to inspire them as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think if, if you're not willing to put yourself on the line and uh, almost push and challenge yourself so that cause you, to see where you can get to, then you're mm. not going to be very inspirational to other people. Yeah, no, uh, I 100% agree. So in terms of, so just moving on to the topic of clients um, mm. and landing clients, how do you um, get clients to see your value? Um, because uh, you know, you're involved with the initial yeah. stages before you've even won the pitch, and so the initial screenings and pitch processes. So yeah, like what kind of things do you look for when deciding what to showcase in your portfolios and attracting yeah. that client at that well, time? Really, they'll only value it if it's something that they value. So what you have to find out what it is that they're looking mm. for and what they're looking to buy and make, probably make an assumption on what you think it is that they need and would therefore value. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a guessing game at times. Um, and then I think you need to be able to show how what uh, the agency can do and what the team can do matches what it is what you they think need. they'll value. Yeah. Um, and but the hard thing is is that it, they 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 won't make it easy for you by saying yeah yeah what I want above all else is X Y Z type of agency. It'll be hidden in a brief, which is about using a load of marketing jargon yeah. and saying I need a new t- new TV ad or a new uh, website that's not really what they want or value what they want is a team of people who will be on hand 24/7 to give them advice and to right. so there'll be a load of things that are hidden that the client is actually buying which are sort of softer so it's about reading between the lines then yeah 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 i think so so recently we went through you know you guys went through a new logo and a mm. new complete new rebranding of iris um and it's completely changed, like mm. you know, the perspective. And I love the kind of coral pink um, <laughs> logo. So, what things, what things did you do to make um, your branding, I guess, have yeah. longevity in the game? And what made you decide to go through a rebranding yeah. phase? Well, I mean, we hadn't touched it for 19 years, so I did the <laughs> don't believe that we got away with it. Isn't there that saying about the cobbler's children? don't wear any shoes. I mean, it's a clear case of we're telling our clients day in, day out that to how to look after their brand mm. and then we're not looking after our own because we're yeah. so busy focused on growing a business. Um, so it was well and truly um, in need of an update. And I think there, we were starting to get cl- comments back from both clients and potential uh, employees that mm. and they would say, especially when you're recruiting creatives. Yeah. They they've got a strong opinion on things yeah. like that and they would say oh, I really love the company but I'm really not sure about your logo why on earth haven't you done anything with it yeah. um, so it was a case of um, ha- having to and, and in a way 
many many companies rebrand when there's a problem or they're going through a bit of a business transformation and um, we, we didn't have any of those sort of underlying causes really it was it was like a visual facelift if you like yeah. um, and so we had a very consultative process where we involved different different employees from different markets because if, if your people don't like it and don't feel some sort of ownership about about how it's created then I, I think you're how you're going to sell it to the outside world exactly yeah. thank you because your people are your your brand ambassadors and they need they need to be able to um 100% believe in it yeah yeah and so in terms of sort of I mean we got <laughs> we, we had various different versions of logo that we presented to some of the partner base and uh, one of the partners Henry put his hand up and said I absolutely hate all of those uh, if you give it to me for two weeks I think we can do something better with it yeah. and so credit to him well one one credit to, me, to Ian in that he's like okay it's already taking ages but take another couple of weeks <laughs> because I, I also knew that Henry would probably be able to come up with something but if yeah. I'd given him the brief first off they would have been so busy on Alias they wouldn't have done it mm. whereas it took Henry seeing something he hated to, 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 to well it, to, yeah. to spur him into action mm. and say right I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my designer on it and we're gonna do something cool and um, more or less what we ended up with is what they came up with mm. um, so you know I'm really pleased yeah. really pleased that no, that happened it looks really good um, so if I, if I was giving advice to anyone I would almost say who's your, mo who's your most vocal uh, <laughs> not problem really? child but who, 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 who has got the strongest opinions mm. about uh, what, what your company should be doing and make sure that you involve them in the process yeah. because uh, that they will often they're an influencer within your business so they will bring other people along they board with them yeah, and drivers. if they're passionate about it as well it's likely that they'll come up with a pretty good answer yeah. to the problem so mm, that's a good, good tip there uh, in terms of kind of risk what would you say has been the biggest risk that you've taken throughout your career um, yeah, I think, I, think there's been I think there's been two that have paid off, um, both very different from each other. So I started as an account handler, um, running uh, pieces of business, and uh, I got the chance to help the team pitch on a, a piece of government business, and it was for the Department of Health for the Teenage Pregnancy Campaign, mm -hmm. and, and I, I felt like I had... Uh, a lot to lot to bring to that campaign and felt like I understood the audience uh, uh, really well having come from a uh, town like Portsmouth that mm. has had high teenage pregnancy rates and had friends who had had babies when I was younger um, and so we won that piece of business and I found that I absolutely loved working on uh, government pieces of work because it was about using your marketing skills to raise awareness of mm. loads of different issues um, that were affecting affecting people, and so rather than getting people to buy things, you were getting people to try and change their behaviour um, for either their own health or their own safety. And so, I took that on as a piece of business. It was it involved specialising in partnership marketing. So it, yeah, the government's brief to Iris was, go and bring a load of young cool brands into this campaign and get them to deliver the message to teenagers because they won't listen to us because we're boring, we're authority, we're government. And that's quite a, a niche and specialist area mm. uh, of marketing. 
Um, so in a way, I took a, I took a risk by choosing to specialise, um, but but because I was I was really passionate about it, mm. um, therefore I really enjoyed it. And so if you enjoy something, you will be good at it. Yeah. Um, and so I threw myself into it, and then 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 just grew it to. In the end, it was a three million pound piece of business, and oh, wow. and that was the thing that pushed my career up from you know, account director right up to managing partner because I was running pieces of business. Mm. So um, I think if you find, oh, my advice to someone would be, if you find something you love, don't, don't be afraid to specialise mm. in it because actually these days there's, there's nothing wrong with being a, a specialist yeah. in a particular area. And then the second, the second risk was to then, when the new business director at the time, uh, I knew she wanted to rotate to Iris Singapore, I uh, said to her, right, I'll take your job. So what we'll do is we'll go to Ian and say... Together, yeah. Together. So, because you leaving will present a problem to him. But if we go and say, you want to go, here's the solution. Claire's going to come in and run it. Um, and, and also, by the, same, by the same token, I mean, he was more than happy with that. Because also, I'd grown the three million quid's worth of business by pitching all the time. Mm. So I'd already proven to him that I was good at pitching, but I'd also discovered that I loved it. So again, it's about chasing that thing that you think is the thing that you enjoy the most and the thing that you think you're good at, and the two yeah. things go hand in hand. Yeah, of course. So, it's not being not being scared to say right. I'm going to jump out of account handling and not be in client service anymore, and I'm going to go, f f f you know, into the front line and, mm. and go into new business. And some people are scared of that because they see pitching as really stressful and long hours. Mm. And but you know, I, w I was a mum with two young kids who were under the age of two at the time. But I just thought it's worth it because I'll get to do the thing that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And if I enjoy it. The, it won't feel like it work. Won't, it, it won't, won't feel, feel stressful. Like, yeah, it won't, I'll exactly. find a way to manage it. Yeah. And so that those are the two risks that I've taken that mm. have paid off. And actually, at the time, they didn't really feel that risky. Cause yeah, like what you're telling me now, I feel like the second one seems more like an opportunity, if anything. Then, yeah. It didn't really seem... I mean, Pretty there was obviously a risk that Ian could have been like, no. Yeah, he could have said no, and I could have gone into it and been dreadful. <laughs> but I was sort of backing yeah. myself. Yeah, and then you have, you have to do that these yeah. days, don't you? Um, so just a few more questions if I think it obviously takes certain you know level of drive to want for some an individual to make their mark on the world um, and even just having this conversation with you you're obviously very driven and you have been from a young age and what do you think has taught you to be this way and what kind of childhood influences <laughs> or like role models have contributed to this yeah. Um, I, I grapple with this all the time because I've got my own children and I, uh, they, they have a more privileged upbringing that, than I had and they go to a good school, they go to a private school and I uh, think mm, I'm worried that you will have too much on a plate and so where's your drive going to come yeah. from? So <laughs> my, my drive was obvious, I came from a working class background, uh, my father was quite hard on me and uh, as much as I hated him for it at the time, I look back and I think I do, I probably have got my sort of resilience to things is because you gave me such a hard time. Yeah, I think uh, that's the same with me and my dad. At <laughs> yeah. the time I hated it, but you look yeah. back you're like, I'm sort of coming to terms with it a bit. I'm still a yeah. bit, I'm still a bit bitter about it <laughs> and still not quite uh, over it. <laughs> got over it. But I do know deep down that I do have him to thank for it. 
um, and made, they just made me work really hard for everything. Yeah. Um, and and so I think it comes from that. But then I also I look at my husband, who's the flip side. Who had his parents are great and amazing, and they never put him on a pedestal and told him he was wonderful. But they were so supportive and so focused on education and so like just filling him like a sponge. He's ended up similar to me, but we've taken very different routes yeah, to it. Yeah, upbringing. Yeah. What does your husband do? Well, he, I met him here. He's just the same oh, as me. Really? He's in marketing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I do. I do. But I think if you, if you, not everybody who's successful has had a bit of a hard childhood, mm. and there's certainly people who've had a worse childhood than me. Um, I think even if you've got a privileged childhood, I think you need to be setting people, you need to set yourself goals. Mm. You need to do things that you might fail at because you'll only, you'll learn from the things you fail at and you'll learn from scaring yourself. And mm. it's, it'll be the fear of wondering whether you're going to be able to do that race or climb that mountain yeah. or do that piece of public speaking. So I keep trying to put my kids into situations where they're not quite sure of themselves and put them outside of their comfort zone I guess yeah 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 and, and give them both positive and negative experiences mm. um, so that they just they, they, they feel comfortable with going for it and yeah. not knowing whether <laughs> they're going to yeah and not being in their comfort zone yeah and not true. and also accept at a long age that they're not perfect mm. I think yeah. I think if you come to terms with that quite young in life then you're you build that mentality, don't you? Mm. And then you kind of approach yeah, every like, situation. Yeah, you're like, might not be perfect, but I'm going to go for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> better than not. No, I agree. Um, what would you say, what does the definition of success mean to you? Mm. I, guess it cha- I guess it changes. It's definitely not material for me. Mm. Um, I, think, I think having a full life is really important to me having things outside of work are really important to me. I'm quite a goal-orientated person. Um, Professionally and personally, would yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do, I do a load of, load of sporting things outside of work that uh, are about setting myself impossible races and challenges <laughs> and things to do. And uh, I, I sort of really need that. Um, Keeps you focused. Yeah, yeah. I need to sort of. I, it's about challenging yourself. I think. Mm. I think I definitely. I just want to be able to look back and say, I gave. I gave it my all. No matter what. what, what yeah. Fist, no matter yeah. what I was doing, I gave it. I gave. I gave it a good go. Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be fit and healthy. Um, I never. I never wasted any time. Sat. Mm. Sat around wondering what it was like to do X, Y, and Z. I just yeah. went and did it. Yeah, I agree. Thing is, you don't want to look back and think, you know, I could have done so much more with my life. That's mm. the thing. Like that's my that is my worst nightmare to live in regret and yeah. think I could have done so much more, but why didn't I? Yeah. You know, but yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because you could you could I could also if I on a bad day I could look at Iris and think I've just given 20, 20 of my you know twenty years twenty five years of my life to Iris just to one thing. Mm. That's so from a person who's just said that they want to experience. Lots of different things. But you have done, you know, you've yeah. been travelling, like yeah. you said, you have, you know, you have a life outside of virus mm. as well, and even yeah. setting yourself kind of sport, like sport-related goals. Yeah. I'd say that's living, uh, you know, 
a full life. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's important that people, once they have kids, that they don't uh, that they don't give up the things that made them who they were before they had children. Mm. Because one day those kids will leave, and and then then who are you? Yeah. So um, obviously your life changes when you have children, but it doesn't. You don't. It's not, I think some people use that as an excuse to check out. They're going yeah. to stop trying at work. They're going to just get to this point in their career where they say, "Oh, I've got, ki- I've got kids now, so I can't really, mm. can't really carry on progressing. Oh, I can't. I haven't got time to go running or do all those things that I love doing. I haven't got yeah. time to meet my mates. You have. You just, you just, if you just have to keep making effort. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, what kind of advice would you give to working mums in terms of juggling work and social and you know their? It's knackering. It's worth know, it. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's knackering. It's worth it. Because if you still carry on doing some of the things that you enjoy as an individual outside of your kids and outside of your marriage, actually, then you will still you will still feel like you are. I am Claire, and I am this person, and I I'm not just totally dependent on these other things in yeah. my life. Um, and if you're happy, you'll be a good mum. If you're happy, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be happy. You'll be happy at work, so yeah. you'll be better at. It's weird because I do think it kind of, you know, if you've got one really bad area in your life, it does seep into all the other areas, and it works the other way. If, if you know you're happy at work, you you come home happy, yeah, you know, to your exactly. family and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just a couple more questions. Mm. What does your morning routine look like? <laughs> uh, well, it's yeah, it's probably determined about whether I'm dropping the kids at school or my husband is. But it's get up and then. The kids are normally up, they're downstairs usually playing on some sort of device or the TV, which is probably not great. Uh, get up, give them a cup of tea, give myself a cup of tea, and then put my running kit on and get out of the house as quickly as possible. Do you run to work? <laughs> I, I run on the commute, uh, so yeah. I will commute halfway and, then, ru- and yeah. then run the rest of it, or go to the gym if I've got time. I, I quite like getting some sort of exercise in in the morning. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's just dependent on whether I need to take them to school or whether someone's going to take them to school. But my ideal morning is get up, say hello to everyone, make sure they're all right, have a cup of tea, go run. Yeah. And then, and then the rest of the day can start. But that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. Um, if you had to give one book to someone, what would, what would it be and why? <gasps> one book? Hmm... What's one book that you think has had quite a major impact on you, or that you've yeah. learned from the most? I read so much. I'm just trying to think of one one book in particular. Mm. I'd like to say something quite profound, but I know I'm not going to come up with. <laughs> you can get three, <laughs> top three. Mm. <laughs> I probably have to sit and look at look at my bookshelf and look, look back <laughs> over them. There's probably what there's what there's been. Oh, what's it called? Feet in the Clouds. It's a book about fell running, and it's about one guy who lives in London. It's about his his multiple attempts to try and do the Bob Graham round, which is um, it's like a time, it's a record of hitting a certain number of peaks in the Lake District within a, within a 24 hour period. But it's also a historical review of fell running and the greats in fell running and. Um, I think I think that had a that's had a major impact on me. That's what I like doing outside of work. Mm. And my second son is named after one of the 
great trail runners, oh, really? Joss Naylor. Yeah, yeah, so his first name is Joss. Yeah, so that's probably. Yeah. But you'll only enjoy it if you like running. Yeah, I've only just, well, I didn't. <laughs> you're going to look at me in disgrace by doing my first 5k a couple of weekends yeah, back. that's and good. Starting. Yeah, everyone's yeah. got to start somewhere. Everyone's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I just had this fear of not being able to complete it. But I did it within under 30 minutes, so I was chuffed yeah, with myself, that, I think. Yeah. But I think for me, I wanted to start running for the mind. I think mm. it's so good for yeah. just like building that endurance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So one final question, if you could have like a gigantic billboard with anything saying on there, metaphorically speaking, um, what would you have say on there and why? Just get up and do it, <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, I think that'd be my motto for everything. Just, just do it. Just do Same it. Night. Yeah, yeah. Just, just do it. Yes. Just get, you know, don't, mm. don't be scared, just get up and do it. Uh, you, know, you won't know until you try it. Yeah, so true. Okay, well, it. thank you so much, Claire. Did I? <laughs> I think that, yeah, it went really well. I don't know if you have any last, last words you want to say or anything? No, yeah, no, that's fine. Okay. I think I probably said a lot. <laughs> no, that was great. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> Pleasure.